Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 63. You know, if I were to ask you this morning what you are passionate about, what would you say? I would expect that as professing Christians, you would say, God, of course. Now, likely there would be other answers as well, such as, oh, I'm passionate about my family, my job, church. Maybe it's some sport or hobby that you enjoy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe better questions would be, what do you think about a lot? What gets your attention? How do you spend your free time? This reveals what is most important to you. It certainly does. Well, I want you to note what David shared from his heart in this psalm, Psalm 63. So follow as I read. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. As you can clearly see, this is a soul that is expressing his desire and satisfaction for God. The very first verse sets the tone for all the verses that follow. Look what it says again. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Look at verses 5 and 6. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And he's talking about the delicacies of life. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand 
upholds me. This reminds me of what David wrote earlier in Psalm 42, 1 and 2. We sang about it this morning. It was the song that led into this message where it says these words, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, what makes this message, the message of this psalm special, is its background, is its setting. I want you to notice the heading of this psalm, which, by the way, is a part of the Hebrew text. It gives us a little bit of background, a little bit of insight as to what David is talking about here, especially at the time that he's talking about it. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, there were two significant times when David spent time in the wilderness of Judah. Early in his life when he was fleeing from Saul. You can see that in 1 Samuel 23. Also, Psalm 18 speaks about that experience. And then later in his life, fleeing from Absalom. That would have been 2 Samuel 15 to 19. And I believe this psalm is referring to the latter. And I say that because of what it says there in verse 11. But the king will rejoice in God. David there is speaking of himself as king. He was a king when he was fleeing from Absalom. So what you have here is a soul that is longing for God in difficult times. Let me repeat that. What you have here is a soul that is longing for God in difficult times. And so how about you, beloved, this morning? Are you facing trying times? Are you feeling the pressures of life a little bit? No doubt God is using all of this to reveal what is in your hearts. There's no doubt about that. Either you are drawing near to God as David did in his difficult circumstances or you are pulling away from him and looking to other things for satisfaction. In fact, even when things are going well, believers sometimes forget God. That's too bad. In fact, It was Moses who warned the nation of Israel of that very thing in Deuteronomy 8. That when things are going good and you become prosperous and successful, watch out that you forget God. And so, yes, we do. Well, instead this morning, why don't you and I learn from David by asking, how can I have his attitude and grow in my spiritual thirst for God. And to help you with this, I want you to consider with me four principles. Four principles from David's example here in this psalm. And I trust they will inspire and draw you closer to the Lord as they have myself. I've looked at this passage a number of times in the past. I've even spoken on it at various times But it's one that I come back to because I personally need to be reminded of it. 
And I know you do too as well. Because easily we fall away from the Lord. Our soul starts to cling to other things other than God. And that's not the way he wants it to be. Well, the first principle is there in verse 1. Look what it says again. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What stands out there? It's this principle. Be assured of your relationship to God. Be assured of your relationship to God. You capture this, especially in the first part of verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Literally, it reads, oh God, my God, you are. <laughs> There's emphasis there. Clearly, David's soul was confident in his relationship with God, with whom he began by name there in verse 1 twice, and also ended the psalm with his name there in verse 11. God was his salvation and only source of refuge. Truly, as the Bible says elsewhere, David was a man after God's own heart. He was. Look back with me at Psalm 62. And by the way, we're going to be looking at Psalm 61 and 62 quite a few times this morning because these were two Psalms written by David leading into Psalm 63. But there in Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, it says these words, My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Look at verses 6 and 7. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Amen. And so it was his relationship with God that was foundational to his longing, his thirst for God, which follows in the rest of the verse. Because he goes on to say, I shall seek you earnestly, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is how David began his prayer here In Psalm 63, out there in the wilderness, indicating that there is no lasting satisfaction apart from knowing God personally. There isn't. Maybe there are some of you this morning that are longing to thirst after God. The first question that you should be asking yourself is, do I have a relationship with God? Because David starts with that very thing. And then after acknowledging that, what does he do? He clearly states his passion and thirst for God. And so how does this happen? Hmm? 
How do you have a relationship with God? Well, it's the same for Old Testament people and New Testament people and us today. There is no difference. It's the same. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4, if you would. Holding your space there in Psalm 63. Romans chapter 4. You'll see why I'm turning to this passage. Romans chapter 4. And by the way, what you see here is also repeated in Galatians as well. But Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Here you have Paul making an argument for justification by faith. And he says these words, What then shall we say to say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? He's going back to the Old Testament. For if Abraham was justified, that is, declared righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That comes out of Genesis 15 and verse 6. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That comes out of Psalm 32, which, by the way, we're going to go to next week for communion. And then he says this. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcision also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. And then you have in Romans 5, in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith in God, we have peace with God. It's the same in the Old Testament. It's the same in the New Testament. And it's the same for us today. There's no difference. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So just as David came to know God and salvation by faith in the one true God, the same is true for us. And so I ask you this morning, do you have a personal relationship with God? It's a good question for you to examine your hearts with right now, even as you sit in these chairs. Have your sins been forgiven? Have you been declared righteous by faith in God through the Lord Jesus Christ? I trust you have. I've said this before. Could it be in a crowd this size that there's someone here who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Yeah, you bet. So here's an opportunity for you this morning. God has brought you here. You're sitting under the preaching of God's Word. Examine your heart. Do I know Jesus? And maybe the reason you lack a passion for God this morning, you have no interest in Him, is because you don't know Him. And so I would ask you to bend the knee of your heart before the Lord. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus alone for your salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? shall be saved.
Amen. This is where it all begins. Be assured of your relationship with God. But that's not where it ends. (laughs) David continues here. Look with me at verses 2 to 5. Verses 2 to 5. He continues on. Thus, I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. What do you see as the next principle here to a spiritual thirst for God? It's pretty clear. It's this. Be characterized by worship of God. Be characterized by worship of God. This is exactly what David was doing in this stanza of the psalm. As his soul thought about God, his lips and his hands were lifted up in praise, blessing, and adoration to God. You see, there in the wilderness, his mind's eye focused on what he had seen previously in the sanctuary or the tabernacle. That would have been the holy place of God. At that time, the temple wasn't existent. It didn't come till later. Well, his mind's eye focused on God's power and glory, as it says there in verse 2. Likely as a result of God's presence through the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Listen to these words of David in Psalm 27 in verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. And then at the same time, David here also recalls what? God's loving kindness. Yes, there in verse 3, or his loyal love. The Hebrew word there is kesed. Sometimes it can be translated faithfulness or mercies of God. And this, of course, refers to his unfailing willingness to help and comfort, to keep his promises to his people, even when they are unfaithful to God. That's why the loving kindness of God is so special. It's no wonder that David says there in verse 3, it was better than life itself. (laughs) And he extols God. Look back with me at Psalm 61, 6 and 7. He says it there as well. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. Look at Psalm 62, 11 and 12, leading into this psalm. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and loving kindness is yours, O Lord. For you recompense a man according to his work. 
And so this is what filled David's soul at the moment and encouraged his heart. The power and glory of God. He saw that with his mind's eye. And then he recalls the loving kindness of God. Many times in the Psalms, you will see the psalmist referring to the loving kindness of God. You will also see the prophets doing the same thing over and over again. So this is what David was filled with in his heart. But you know what? There's so much more to God, isn't there? (laughs) Isn't there? Amen. Listen to this statement by Jonathan Edwards in his book, Religious Affections. How many of you have heard of that book? Okay, obviously it's old. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, he wrote that book You know why? It's because his church at the time lacked a passion for God. And so he wrote this book in light of this. And this is what he wrote. The basis for the true delight that a real Christian has is in God and in his perfections. He's talking about his attributes. It is a reasonable affirmation then that the basis of a true love for God is his intrinsic worth. For he is worthy to be loved for his own sake. It is this which makes him so worthy of love. His divine excellence is so glorious. This is why God is God to be loved for his own sake. Amen. And so, beloved, if you want to grow in your passion for God... You must discipline your heart to worship God. Yes, absolutely. Now, you might be asking this morning, what does this look like? Again, another good question. Well, this morning we gathered together as a church, did we not? And we are singing praises like we did. Wonderful, right? We're lifting our hearts up as a church body to God. Worshiping Him. Just as Ephesians 5, I believe it is in verse 19 says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He's talking there about corporate worship. There's nothing like that. You were to ask our worship team this morning how enjoyable it was for them as they were leading us. Hearing the voices of all of you together, lifting your soul up to God. Yeah, it's very, very encouraging. But you know, the primary way is through your personal reading and meditation of God's Word. Learning about Him. Praying to Him. Confessing your sin to Him. Serving Him. This is where you nurture a passion for God. It really is. And so this morning, be assured of your relationship to God and be characterized by worship of God. Yes, David leaves us that example and what it is to thirst after God. But he's still not through yet. As we continue on to another principle that's observed there in verses 6 to 8. 
He says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. What is being expressed out of a passion for God here? It's this. Be trusting in the care of God. Be trusting in the care of God. David's passion for God is building here. (laughs) With each stanza of this song. His worship of him is now accompanied by trust in him. You see, as he was out there in the wilderness with his enemies all around him. He drew comfort from his meditations of God throughout the night, which were likely on a cave floor. (laughs) That's where he was at. In the previous stanza, David acknowledged God's power and loving kindness, which really has been the hand to uphold him in his circumstances. That's why he's dwelling upon it. And therefore he rested and rejoiced in the strength and care of God's protection and followed close to him, just as a bird does under its mother's wings. That he alludes to there in verse 7. Look back with me to Psalm 61, 3 and 4. For you have been a refuge for me, A tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. The same thing is even recorded in 62 verses 5 to 8. I like what Spurgeon said of David. There was no desert in his heart, though there was a desert around him. That's what Spurgeon said when he was preaching on this psalm. There was no desert in his heart, though there was a desert around him. You know, in the last couple of weeks, as I have spoken with a number of you who have lost either a parent or a sibling, one of the things that I have noticed and have been encouraged by is your trust in the Lord. That's come out from your lips. And as a pastor, I'm encouraged by that because it's so easy to fall away from the Lord in difficult times and to become angry because things are not going the way you want. But God is in charge, right? Why should we be upset with Him? (laughs) Really? He's in charge. And so when I hear God's people say, you know, I don't understand why all this has happened, but I am trusting in the Lord. I'm trusting in his care and his protection because he's all powerful. He's sovereign. His loving kindness, his faithfulness endures forever. (laughs) And so I get encouraged by that as a pastor. I've seen that. So praise the Lord. Beloved, as you meditate upon God through His Word, your soul will thirst after Him and trust Him. In fact, that's the goal 
of Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God. You've heard me say this a number of times, but it's in the top five best books I've ever read. And the goal of Jerry Bridges is to introduce you to God. (laughs) And he does it actually through three attributes. He starts out with his sovereignty for the first six chapters, the first half of the book. And then he turns to the love of God. And then he turns to the wisdom of God. And through all of that, he's just bringing verse after verse after verse of Scripture to your heart and mind to get you to be meditating upon God in this way. And when you get through the book, you say, why haven't I been trusting God? (laughs) This is ridiculous. This is foolish. So the more that you're in God's word and you're meditating upon it and learning about God, you're going to trust him. You're going to thirst after him. You're going to find satisfaction in him. As believers, you can trust God because of who he is and what he has promised to do. And we see that throughout Scripture. So may God help you to do such. Be assured of your relationship to God. Be characterized by worship of God, which leads to trusting in the care of God. But he's not done yet. We come to the end of this psalm, verses 9 to 11, where David leads us with one other principle for thirsting after God. He says, but those who seek my life to destroy it, will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. What is seen here? Especially in verse 11. It's simply this, be persevering for the glory of God. Be persevering for the glory of God. By the way, this is an extension of the previous stanza. Because of David's trust in God's protection, David was confident that God would vindicate him That in his own time, he would destroy his enemies. Look back at verse 8 and then verses 9 and 10. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. And so David was confident that God would vindicate him. And so as David went on to say, but the king will do what? Will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will glory. He wasn't just about lip service, all right? (laughs) He was about life service. That's what he was about. That phrase swears by him there in verse 11. Is about making an oath or a vow invoking God, which is basically pledging oneself to Him. That's what it is. Look back with me at Psalm 61, verse 5. Psalm 61, verse 5. David is praying, For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. 
Verse 8. So I will praise, so I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may pay vows day by day. Deuteronomy 10, 20 and 21. Moses said these words to the nation of Israel. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and cling to Him. And you will swear by His name. He is your praise and He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have not seen. And so David was saying that all those who are loyal to God will glory. That includes himself. In spite of his situation, he would persevere for God and glorify Him because of his passion for Him. And that's the way it should be for God's people, right? Because God's people will always have enemies around them and trials before them. Always. And so, as David, we should do what? Turn to God. Cling to Him. Find our satisfaction in Him and Him alone. I believe most of you know the song lyrics of that chorus, Step by Step. I was thinking about that this past week. Oh God, You are my God, I will ever praise You. Oh God, You are my God, and I will ever praise You. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step you'll lead me. And I will follow you all of my days. And so is that your heart, beloved? To follow the Lord all of your days. That's was, that was David's heart. He persevered for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 12.1. You know it. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Yeah, this is what we should be about. Why? Because of the mercies of God. That first mercy is what? Your salvation. (laughs) All right? And if it were to end right there, that would be enough. You've been saved from hell. And so because of the mercies of God, we give ourselves to Him and we persevere for His glory, not ours. And so, yes, be persevering for the glory of God. You know, there was a poll, a poll taken among pastors across the nation some time back which asked two questions. One, What do you consider to be your church's greatest threat? The answer was lost passion for God. Then the other question was, what is your church's greatest weakness? The answer was lack of zeal or commitment from its members. The two are interrelated, right? You have a passion for God. (laughs) You have a zeal for Him. (laughs) You want to serve Him. They go hand in hand. And so this is pretty revealing, isn't it? And so, beloved, how do us as God's people keep from becoming a statistic on a poll? I believe it's following the example of David here in Psalm 63. Be assured of your relationship to God. Be characterized by worship of God. Be trusting in the care of God. 
and be persevering for the glory of God. This is what David expressed from his heart as he was out there in the wilderness in a cave with all of the difficult circumstances around him. He drew nigh to God. And you know, beloved, that's where I want you to be. And so I leave you with these words of the Apostle John from his third epistle, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in truth. You know me. I like Yahtzee. Okay, yeah, I I like Yahtzee. You know that. Very competitive with that, even though it's all luck. You know I like golf. Yeah. You know I like to watch Larry Bird videos over and over again. And I can talk about all those things. But the one thing that gets me excited above all else is when I hear God's people walking in truth. I can't tell you how thrilled that makes me as your pastor. And so may you thirst after God today and every day for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and what a joy it is to walk through this psalm and just see the example of David who thirsted after you. May we thirst after you as a deer pants for the water brooks. May our souls pant for you. I trust that, God, you will do your work in the hearts of your people as only you can for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.